And this is Pod Have Mercy. I'm Russell. This is Pod Have Mercy. I'm John Stevens. <laughs> well, Bishop Mayombo, did I say that correctly? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm John Stevens. I know we met on email, and I, we actually ran into each other briefly. I'm sure you totally remember that in Dallas. You don't. There were a lot of people, and there was a lot of stuff going on. But, a lot of people. And this is uh, Matt Russell, and um, he's also on staff here at Chapelwood, one of our executive pastors. And I really appreciate you joining us on this because I think it's going to be stir too. It's going to be really helpful. I think um, there's, you know, I want us to talk about um, what's going on in the United Methodist Church. I want to get your input on that as far as your take and what you see not only happening in the denomination overall, but what's happening in the, in the United Methodist Church in Africa. You know, um, are we rolling, Jeff? We just we're kind of free will it here, so we don't have any strict rules. Yeah, we just we <laughs> this just, is as structured as you're going to get right here. <laughs> yeah, th- this this is really just it. But we we do have today Bishop uh, Monde Muyambo, who is um, bishop in the United Methodist Church. Tell us just a little bit, real quick, about yourself, your story, your yeah. family, and where you're serving as bishop in the United Methodist Church. Thank you, John, and thank you, Matt, for inviting me. I hope you can uh, you can hear him hear me well yes. with my uh, uh, accent. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. Uh, I was born in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I think it's uh, at the center of Africa. As you know, the Congo has uh, experienced challenges since colonial era Mm. and of course even today we continue to have the challenges of wars uh, going on Uh, but i came from a very poor background Uh, in fact uh, if it wasn't for the united methodist church i could have not made it to africa university where I did graduate with a Bachelor of Divinity degree and then a master's degree in leadership and governance, still at Africa University. And I was supported by people called United Methodists. I, I did not know them, but they committed to helping us uh, to uh, access to education. But prior to that, I trained as a civil engineer uh, in my country. Uh, in fact, my, that's what my dad wanted. My, my dad did not want me to join ministry. I, I do recall that the day I told him that I was pursuing to be a pastor, uh, he told me that I was crazy. <laughs> and um, But the call was so strong that regardless of the fact that um, my dad, for, for a good reason, I think he wanted this son of his to, for whom he worked very hard to be a civil engineer and make money and help the family. Uh, yeah. My dad had uh, two wives 
uh, on my mom's side, we were four, and my stepmom had ten. So uh, I'm of a family of over 14 children. Wow. So that can tell you how diverse <laughs> my, my, my family is. So then Africa University, I moved to the U.S. I was educated at St. Paul School of Theology. Again, you know, um, hmm. but supported by Methodists. I, I did a master's degree there and also a doctor of ministry degree uh, in a new track which was called Children and Poverty in a Globalized Economy. Hmm. Because my whole calling was about to bring about social transformation in my adjacent community. I'm married to a preacher's kid. <laughs> Her name is Blandine Mujinga. Um, when we got engaged, she and I told her that I was becoming a United Methodist pastor. She didn't like it <laughs> uh, because she knew the struggle that a United Methodist yeah. clergy will have in the DRC. Hmm. We have four children, uh, three girls and, and one boy. But I've enjoyed uh, serving in the North Katanga area where I worked as a president of a newly formed university, Kamina Methodist University. I also served uh, local churches as associate, but I was also involved in several projects of the church. Like uh, if you were in the church for a long time, you know that there was an initiative then called Hope for the Children of Africa. Mm -hmm. It was a council of bishop-led initiative that brought about building schools, hospitals, orphanages. Uh, part of that framework was very helpful in transforming our community. So in a nutshell, that's what I can say. Um, I'm also a singer. I, I used to sing. Uh, I was part of the African University Choir. Come on, um, right. I had a chance to tour the United States as a choir member of Africa University. So that's my little resume that I can share with you. But I, I love serving the Lord. That's so great. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, one of the things I found in the United Methodist Church in the United States is we talk a lot about what goes on in the United Methodist Church in other countries, but we really don't have any idea. We know that half of the United Methodist Church membership is in Africa and that the church has been growing tremendously. Um, but I think people have a lot of assumptions or maybe things they think about the church in Africa, but they don't really know. They've never really talked with anyone from the United Methodist Church in Africa. Tell us a little bit about, as you see the United Methodist Church in Africa, it is as diverse, I'm sure, as it is here. Um, people may also think that the African church is very homogeneous and the same everywhere. That's probably not the case as well. Tell us about the United Methodist Church on the continent of Africa, but also where you are in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and what, what does the church look like there, and how is it involved, and how does it do ministry in the United Methodist Church? Thank you so much. This is a great question. And let me say that you started by saying that Africa is diverse. I think uh, people assume that, some people assume that Africa is one country, <laughs> and yet Africa is one continent. In my career, I had the chance to work for 
Global Ministries as Executive Secretary for Africa. So I was involved in mission all over Africa. African people are religious by nature. Hmm. Uh, the African uh, people are spiritual. And this is probably part of our cultural heritage. Uh, that's why, and also I think it's also related to our struggle. I mean, you, you from South Africa to subs, all sub-Saharan Africa, West Africa, East Africa, I think somewhere, somehow, most all of us went through some kind of struggle. Mm. So the United Methodist Church in Africa is very vibrant in terms of evangelism, in terms of uh, uh, Christian education, uh, in terms of leadership formation. But what makes the United Methodist Church in Africa unique, because there are other denominations, is the fact that there is this Wesley way of church growth. So you build a church, but uh, you also have beside that church a school that provides education for yeah. young boys and girls. <clears throat> and the same church has an agricultural project in order to bring about a sense of food security. But also uh, the church digs a well because access to drinkable water is is a, remains a challenge and also a clinic. So it's a very comprehensive approach, what we'll call, you know, in the Wesley language, social holiness kind of. Yes. Yes. And all those ministries around the church do not only serve United Methodists. Mm -hmm. They serve everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, they are not channels of proselyting, but they are channels of giving life and transformation to the communities. I think and people always say, why do Methodists do projects that embrace people from other faith and religions? I think that's what makes us unique. The work of AMCO, United Methodist Committee on Relief, uh, whenever we experience drought or catastrophes, Methodists across the globe through AMCO have stepped up, helped refugees, helped displaced people, and provided food, shelters, to everyone. Yes. So that cross and flame has, has become a sign of transformation, a, a, a sign of hope to communities that are going through some kind of struggle. Young people are very involved. We have choirs of 80, 100 people. And the fact that we are also able to do worship in our own languages, in our own native languages, and we, we sing, uh, we dance, that also helps our Methodism being cooked in an African pot. You know, we, <laughs> we, we do have our ingredient yeah. uh, that we put. So that's... That's what I can say. So that's why you see a lot of growth uh, in the church. And let me say this. 
I'm grateful to United Methodists in America, in Europe, and in the world. What you don't realize that you are the ones who birthed and nourished the United Methodist Church in Africa. I've been involved in several mission partnerships across Africa where I've seen local churches coming from the U.S. and stay with the people and support and worship with them and experience new way of being Methodist. So we, we cannot say that we have done this alone. I think we have done it with people called United Methodists. Yes. And, and I want to emphasize on that. People called United Methodists from the U.S. who have been our partners over the years. And that's encouraging. That's yeah. the church universal. It's not just church located in one place, but that we are connected. And I, and I, yeah. I think we need to do a better job learning from one another what, what's actually happening and how we're in this together. I was just at a meeting on Monday in Atlanta. I didn't know you were there. We would have had coffee. But, um, you know, yes. that, that the United Methodist Church in just the snap of a finger has raised $27 million without even really asking very much for refugees in Ukraine and the war in Ukraine. And that's the collective power of the church together, yeah, yeah. serving Christ. Exactly. Even even though we're in different countries and different cultures, and maybe we see things a little different, we may not agree on every single aspect of how we do what we do. But I love that image, and I do think it's very Wesleyan. The education, the health and the welfare, and the religious formation, the spiritual formation, all together bundled um, yeah in a community to me seems to be a perfect image of yes. how Jesus did yeah. ministry. Yeah, yeah, uh, social holiness, yes. right? It's our yes. DNA. I mean, Jesus healed and Jesus fed and Jesus yeah. educated and Jesus, uh, you know, uh, not healed the body and the spirit. And I mean, that's what you're talking about in, in the areas that, that where the United Methodist Church is growing and reaching people. Yeah. That, that's a, a powerful image. Now, you are a, a bishop in the United Methodist Church, which means you probably know more than most people want to know about all sorts of things. And we do know that um, our denomination is going through a difficult season. In the United States, we've talked on this podcast with some different bishops and some different leaders in the United Methodist Church. So we have a sense of how that disagreement or um, is is happening or or here in the United States around human sexuality is, is the, really the, the issue. Um, and the big, I, I'm a more traditionalist um, person, but I am choosing to remain in the United Methodist Church because I feel it's very important that we keep the body of Christ together, even though we may have some differing interpretations and some differing contextual ways of living our faith out but it's not an issue of scriptural authority. It's an issue of scriptural interpretation. But other people who are United Methodists believe that this is a dividing line. This is a dividing wall that cannot be broken down, as Paul talks about Christ in Ephesians, breaking down the dividing wall. This one they feel, some people feel, cannot be broken down. And so they are choosing to launch a new church and leave and, and invite, or at least, <laughs> I say invite, I'm being very nice, but really... Um, pulling United Methodists apart from one another to be a part of a new denomination around this 
scriptural interpretation. So anyway, we kind of know how it's working out in the U.S. We argue with one another, and our words can be a lot of speculation, a lot of accusation, a lot of misinformation, but we kind of just do it on social media. We, we yell at each other on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I'm wondering what we don't know in the United States is what does this United Methodist uh, schism or splintering or what does it look like in Africa or in other places in the world? Or how are you seeing this yeah. play out as a bishop in a, in a different context than where we are? Thank you, John. This is a, this is the question of the, of, of the moment. Um, you know, for the past, uh, I mean, I, I was elected as a bishop in 2017. So, and I, I served on the commission on the way forward. Um, I've had a lot of explaining because I, I lead a very rural area. I have two annual conferences, two in the Congo and one in Tanzania, 51 district. Huh. And with the majority of people making less than a dollar per day. Wow. These are women, young people, children. And I had to explain. They asked me a question. Bishop, can you explain to us who is a traditionalist? I tried to explain. Who is centrist? <laughs> I tried to explain. Who is liberal? Who is center-right, center-left? All these categories. So, you know, if I were to translate those words in my native languages, they're not there. Mm, it's amazing. <laughs> One thing I know is, as African people, we are communal people. We understand what we call Ubuntu. We have a great sense of community, mm. of care for one another. But these labels have confused our people, to be honest. I, I said earlier on that I've seen a lot of wonderful partnerships between American churches and African churches that have had positive impact. I know, for instance, one annual conference in the Western jurisdiction had had a wonderful partnership with an annual conference in the DRC supporting an orphanage for over 16 years. Mm -hmm. And this partnership may be broken and those orphans may be at risk because of these levels that have come to break our fellowship. Wow. And let me say that it has done a lot of harm, uh, especially when things like this were explained without the right intention. Because to my knowledge, I know that most of those who came to Africa, they came to support ministries. 
mission and evangelism. People. But now I understand that some of them came because they had an agenda mm. of dividing the church. Mm. And I, I, I pray, and this is my prayer, I pray that when the clouds clear, people will, will repent mm. because the church that you have birthed in Africa, the church that was growing, but now is caught between, you know, I, I, I like to use this paradigm for myself. That it is not caught between Jerusalem and Antioch. <laughs> kind of. But the good news is, I mean, in the Bible, those in Jerusalem and those in Antioch came to an understanding. Yes. And came together. Yeah. And also, the, the other harm that it has done is, in Africa, it has become an issue of power. You know, if, if I want to be in power, then I need to be associated with a group somewhere in the U.S. because I can get financial support. And, and you know, that type of partnership then becomes toxic. Yeah. But who are negatively affected? They are the women, the children, the orphans, what the Bible will call the least of these. But I can tell you that African bishops have risen to the occasion. Most of them have said, we have been blessed by the United Methodist Church. As I gave my own testimony, if it wasn't for the United Methodist yeah. Church, yeah. I could have not had education. Amen. We have been blessed by United Methodists across the globe, in the U.S. in particular. How can we leave this church? And, and 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 let let me say that we love Methodists, we love Christians, <clears throat> and I don't think for Africans God is centrist or liberal or traditionalist. God is God. Amen. Christ is Christ. Yes. <laughs> and I was talking to some folks in Chicago over the weekend, and I say that. Christ will not disaffiliate from us or separate from us. He remains Christ. But the United Methodist Church is a wonderful church on the continent of Africa. It is a church that is advancing God's kingdom in a very unique way by bringing spirituality by meeting us as Africans where we are with our own cultures but also by bringing development, health food security leadership formation women empowerment youth empowerment to various communities across the globe that's why most of us are so concerned and we pray for healing 
So, I don't want to focus on the harm because the harm is there, but I want to be positive and say there is a way that people can live together because we are from different cultures. We have different background, mm. but we have been together all along. Why are we going to depart from one another at this moment? I believe that there are wonderful people called Methodists. So it will be, it is painful for Africa to see that the church is splitting. But, and I hope that people can realize that the wonderful things they've done to Africa or in Africa can be hindered by the split. But I think what what matters today is focusing on, on the future, a future that can allow as much differences, but as much unity as possible. And I know that the word unity in the church is difficult at the moment. <laughs> no, definitely. We, we talk about that a lot here at Chapelwood, and I know a lot of other United Methodists in the United States do. And, you know, there's a part of me, I don't want to go too far down this trail, but there's a part of me that laments because it feels to me as if our entire denomination around the world is having to live out some angst and disagreement, and I would call it warfare, that's really about what's going on in the United States of America. Yeah more so than maybe what's going on in other cultures or countries. And I, I don't know if that's, maybe that's I'm just being self-critical, but we have a lot of cultural stuff going on in the United States politically and culturally, and I think that's seeping into the church. We've always exported that stuff, though, right? We, <laughs> we export a lot of bad stuff. We've been doing that since we've been around. Um, but I don't know, and, I, and it, 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 make, it breaks my heart to feel and sense when I hear you tell these stories... I feel, and I'm just going to say it for me, it feels like what we're going through, the, the, the stuff we're fighting about is really not eternal, essential stuff, and it's really hindering and harming ministry where you are because we can't figure out how to live together in unity even in our differences. Yeah. Um, and I just say that as, as myself. You don't necessarily need to speak to that, but I, I see that. You made a comment just a minute ago about contextual differences and living together in unity as a church, even though we may have contextual differences. And the, for those of us who are committed to the United Methodist Church, that's one of the things we keep saying in the United States is there's contextual differences even within the United States. I'm yeah. born and raised in the Southeast. I'm from South Georgia. All right. So it's, oh, yeah. You, you talk about a contextual difference now. And now, <laughs> and now I'm in Houston, Texas, which is a big city, but yeah. you go right up the road. We call it the Pine Curtain into East Texas, and it's like it's South Georgia. That's right. That's very different than California. Yeah. It's very different than Chicago, very Oklahoma. different than New York or Oklahoma, anywhere. We, we're a very diverse uh, place. And so what we're trying to say is we can have contextual differences and yet stay together. You... I've, I believe I heard correctly, we'll be working with, and you've worked with the commission on the way forward. 
you will be involved in the connectional table and have been involved in the connectional table. There's been conversation around the United Methodist Church restructuring, creating some new covenant together. The, the term Christmas covenant has been used. And what I love about that, it is coming from the central conferences. It's coming from people outside of the United States who are that. leading this, yep. which I think in humility, we Americans need to humble ourselves and be led more yes. by people like you and, and how you're experiencing the gospel and seeing the evangelistically spread to me. We're, we're somewhat kind of corrupted in, in our own selfish fight uh, that doesn't allow us to see maybe as purely as we should. And I wonder from you, what do you see, it's giving you hope, but what do you see as far as these ideas around contextualization, regionalization, uh, remaining one United Methodist Church and allowing for there to be some contextual differences, even within the United States? And, and is there support for that? I, I know there's support within United Methodists who are remaining in the United Methodist Church in America, but what are, what are your thoughts on that whole idea of regionalization, Christmas covenant? I know some people may not understand what that is, but it's the idea of us remaining together, unified, with some differences in aspects. I'll let you talk about that. Thank you. I think what we have learned uh, at this time in history is that context matters. Uh, if uh, one example is South Africa, South Africa, as you know, experienced apartheid. You know, yeah. one thing that the church in South Africa worked on was to develop a contextual theology, a, a theology that emanates from recognizing that there was significant diversity. And it is that theology that led to the creation of a new church and the liberation of South Africa, what Desmond Tutu called the rainbow nation. But the foundation was contextual theology. I will argue that as United Methodists, we, we need to search for that contextual theology. You know, St. Augustine will say, Theology is faith-seeking understanding. Mm -hmm. I think in our faith, in our seeking, we now do recognize that we are different. Mm -hmm. We come from different backgrounds. But how can those differences build up a church that recognizes those differences? I strongly believe that moving forward, we also have to raise the question, is it because when you look at our church, our polity is similar to the U.S. government structure. <laughs> you have the executive, the judiciary, and uh, the uh, yeah. legislative. Yeah. Is, is that a model that can help our church move forward, especially when there are political differences involved. Maybe this is the time to say we need probably a structure that can, one, recognize that there are differences. Second, maybe 
ways of dealing with issues should not be legislative, but maybe dialogue. And I want to emphasize on the word dialogue. Yes. I'm an African. As an African, I will tell you, culturally, same-sex marriage is not accepted because of my ethos. But it, do I have the right to impose that on other people? I, I don't think so. I, I think our theology should be informed by who we are culturally, the way we've been brought up in our ethos. I'll, 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 I'll just make you laugh. I will tell you this. My mom told me when I was young, a boy cannot spend time in the kitchen. Each time I'll go to the kitchen, try to touch the, the plate, she'll come and pull me out. I love your As mother. a result, I can't... Just love your me. mother already. <laughs> you, you, you know? But in this country, if you don't cook for the one you love, that's trouble. Yes. So, uh, maybe the question that, for me, I think... Yeah regionalization is the way to go because regionalization allows us to recognize our context. Mm. But the question I'll raise, and I always raise, can the U.S. be one region? That's, to me, that's probably the major question. I was part of the protocol. As you know, Bishop Yambasu and I and Bishop Francisco and uh, uh, Bishop Holstead, we are the ones who invited the groups to come around the table. Yes. What I heard that first conversation, everybody recognized that the traditional plan was not helpful, was, was harmful for all the groups in the U.S. I didn't see anybody, whether traditionalists, centrists, or progressive saying things are okay. All of them say things are worse now than they were before. Can you help us to come together? Mm. To meet that moment, that was the foundation of what could have been uh, a, a, a healing moment or a re reconciliation moment. But the way the process evolved it, it, I think the process went somewhere else. Hmm. You know, the first meeting was not about separation. The first meeting was about how can we live together with as much differences as possible and yet recognize that all of us are United Methodists, are children created in God's image. Wow. That's fascinating that you started so, there. Hmm. You know, we, I will tell you, we, we spoke against the protocol when the way it evolved. And yet I was at the birthing of the protocol mm -hmm. because then the conversation became more about how much money are you going to get? We are going to separate. It came about power. And there are some folks at the table who pretended to represent Africa. 
you may have the same traditional views on same-sex marriage and ordination as Africans, but you are not African. You, you do not understand what Africans are, who Africans are, because we are different. So I agree with you that regionalization is a way to go. But I'll still raise the question. The US United Methodist Church has to wrestle with this question. Can we be one region? Because I I think there are traditionalists, centrists, liberal, and I'm using these labels, putting myself in the U.S. context, who love one another. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Who want to stay together. Who Absolutely. are being hurt by the fact that their church they love so much is now breaking apart. I mean, can, can we think about people who are on the pews? Because most of the time they are not involved in these conversations. Correct, yes. They are young people yes. who don't want to leave their friends. So that's, I think, I, I, I do agree with you that regionalization is a way to go. Uh, but still, the U.S. has to ask the question, can the U.S. be one region? Mm. Yes. Well, I think... If not, then what kind of structure can help? You know, I like this notion that uh, uh, Bishop Bickerton talked about the church, uh, United Methodist Church, as a big tent. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, we have been a big tent. Maybe that that's where we have to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I, one of the things I think that we need to do is have more conversation around people that are committed to remaining United Methodist in the United States, but also people who are committed to remaining United Methodist in Africa, Philippines, Europe, wherever it is, and to begin to sit down with a great sense of, of humility. I think when we speak to the history of the United Methodist Church, it started in the United States. Like you said, its formation, its polity structure is rooted in the United States governmental system. And, you know, when my running joke is, well, how's that working for us? You know, the United <laughs> States government uh, doesn't seem to be working really well. And so we're using a system that's organized around that. And then what we did was, as the gospel was spread and went to Africa, went to Philippines, went to, you know, everything. Well, the, the Methodist church was spread, the United Methodist Church. And then people like you and your and folks who came before you who are United Methodists in Africa, you're living out a, a really in a way a, tr a sense of Wesleyan uh, understanding of faith and Christianity, I think far better than we are in the sense of, you know, just because of, of the needs of, of the culture and the society and the neighborhoods and the countries and the regions. I think that that way of building school and clinic and well, church and is it's Ubuntu. It's what you talk it's about community. This, yeah, this community and culture and belongingness and togetherness, where it seems that at least within the United States, our radical individualism um, sets us apart from each other over and against the communal. Right. And so there's a sense in which, like John, you said all the time, and it's a zero sum game. If you don't agree with me on this, you're against me rather than we're together. We might have different opinions on these things, but is there a unity in Christ that we can maintain? But we export now. Now, though, we're exporting mm -hmm. our culture of division. 
Right. You know, this, mm. this fighting one another because we don't agree. This partisan, um, political, cultural, we're exporting this to places and mm. putting this on people. This is kind of our MO for a long time, <laughs> generations upon generations. And that's why I'm saying I think in some ways we need to listen to voices from other places and hear what's happening understand it and see in a sense when I listen to you share about what's going on in your area it makes me want to say okay I may disagree with all of you but I want to be in ministry together because this is making a literal difference not just in the spiritual life of someone in the physical life in the health and the well-being and the education orphanages I mean in life yeah material every day you know, John and Matt, I, I also want to say, as Africans, we are also, we have issues as well. I think mm-hmm. the time has come for us to also listen and hear from those silenced voices in the U.S. We also need to mm-hmm. acknowledge that there is, you are in another context. The fact that we are having more delegates now because of our numbers, that that has to come with a sense of humility and responsibility. Mm -hmm. Leaders in Africa, this whole situation, I mean, the the good news is it has brought some conversations. I want to remind you that we we have serious issues of tribalism. So if you export this type of religious division that it ignites our tribal conflict, remember that most of us are post-conflict countries. And tribalism is also another issue that we are dealing with. But let me also talk about colonialism. There are voices in the church who pretend that they have the... They are the only ones who can interpret the Bible or the discipline. <laughs> you know, if the, the interpretation of the Bible, the interpretation of the discipline becomes U.S. centered, then what you see is people are given documents and petitions that they have to support even when they don't understand it. So we have come to a point where we are now raising awareness of our people, teaching them that they they, they have to have a post-colonial approach to reading the Bible, reading the discipline, so that they don't become proxies, hmm. if, if I can say, of groups. And I have to tell you, when money is being used, you heard about this discussion around vaccination. I'm sure you read the the letters from the central conferences. Our own issue was vaccination was a good thing, but the method, it, it, it was perceived as bribery and it became toxic because people say, okay, we give you these vaccines and then you go and, you know, so that Africans now we are, we are, we are saying, be careful, don't become an object that can be used to go and harm other people. Mm-hmm. 
So that, that's why I want to commend uh, those Central Conference's delegates who worked on that legislation. Uh, it, it is probably the first time where we see a legislation emanating from Central Conferences in trying to address the structure. It's about values. So I uh, I want to say, and and, I, and let, let me say this, I, I, I don't think... I think Americans are wonderful people. I think Americans are religious. All of us have got issues. We just have to learn that we are in different contexts. But maybe the last point I will make for, for this section is that John and Matt, contextual theology creates a prophetic church. We need to raise the question, are we prophetic? Hmm. When we if we fight over issues as church, how prophetic are we going to be vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the secular world and the politicians? The same applies to us. I think in, in the, on issues of elections, for instance, the government come to us and say, church leaders, we need you to help us. To what extent is the church going to play its prophetic role? It requires us a new imagination. It requires us to have a new way of being church. But I strongly believe that the United Methodist Church continues to be that church. That, uh, you know, um, the church reformed itself and it will continue to reform itself when we, we face challenges you know one one other question when i was in 2019 i was part of a, a group that was before the protocol it was in, in indianapolis uh plan group and we were having conversations and out of that conversation and what i still hear today and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this is there's an assumption there's an assumed uh, there's an assumption that okay if we are traditionalists and we are going to leave the united methodist church because of protecting this traditionalist view of scripture on human sexuality they assume that all of africa is going to go with them <laughs> because of the interpretation uh issue and i was sitting across from people who i'm like i i don't know necessarily that you can say all of Africa. I mean, again, it was almost treating it like, not like as a people, but as like an object, Yeah. right? There was an assumption that Africa is going to go here and not go here. I don't hear that talk anymore, but I have heard it a lot. And I wonder, you know, people's questions as churches are going through this here in the United States, as an African bishop, when you speak to Americans who are going through some of the struggles we're going through, I think it's important for them to hear from you, like you've already said, Africans are very diverse, but also as it comes down on this denomination, I've heard you express a commitment and a love to the United Methodist Church. Will there be division in Africa among the United Methodist Church, uh, do you think? And, and what, what is your word to say to people who have this assumption that, well, they 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 synthesize the African church down into this one issue that they're battling with, and so they assume that they will be on their side. Can you just speak to the complexities of that, and and what 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 does the African that, church, that, United Methodist Church, look like? 
going forward? That's a very good question, mm-hmm. uh, John. It's it's a, it's a very good question. I started by saying that I had a lot of explaining to my people. They asked me, okay, who is a traditionalist? I explained. Who is liberal? I explained. Who is centrist? I explained. Who is center-right? I explained. I mean, these are foreign... Uh, there are labels that people are, are, and I will argue across Africa, people are, because the only thing we we, we know is, okay, we are Christians, mm-hmm. and we are United Methodists. That, that, that's what we need all along, and that's what people want to know. That's what people want to focus on. To be honest with you, the word traditionalist, if you're an African, you can ask any African, Being when you use the word traditionalist, it has another meaning in Africa. I leave Tanzania. How do we classify Tanzania? We say Tanzania has got Muslims. It has got Christians, about 35%, about 32%. And then it has traditionalists. Traditionalists, in the real sense of the term in Africa, will mean people who don't know God. People who are more cultural than religious. Interesting. So you see, even the word itself. Yeah. Even the word itself, when you move to in a new context, it means something else. But because we are Methodists, we, we, we are not trying to get into that understanding that was given the meaning. The meaning should, the community should be the one to give a meaning to the word because of the experience. Experience yes. matters. Yes. Uh, this, this is what, when the traditional plan was being crafted, I told one person, I said, you know what? Because some of us have become cross-cultural. We have lived in this country, so we have an understanding of what goes goes on here. I said, you know what? This plan for Africans, it won't be a problem because most Africans have traditional views on marriage and ordination. But for you in America, this won't work because it's too punitive. <laughs> And, 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 and I don't want to say the name of the person, but it's a very prominent person. And I said, this plan will not work. That was one. Second, I say, I realized that the way we, we understand even the way traditionalists differs. You need to go and read the statement from the African bishops on the protocol, you will see what I'm trying to say here. That was an assumption that people had. Hmm. And in order to force that, there's been an attempt to antagonize Episcopal leaders and their members. You, you hear the language of saying, the bishops are somewhere else, the African are somewhere else. That's not true. The truth is, there are individuals who have been using money in order to push their agenda. And that's the harm I'm talking about. And I hope that at some point people will come to repent because John is doing a lot of harm in Africa. Somebody wanted to be a bishop, failed to be a bishop, has been recruited. And the package is using is to say, I'm traditionalist, I'm defending. No, 
think Methodists who have built, who have been partnering with Africa for over 20 years, we knew them as Methodist, United Methodists from America. They came from different theological standing. But we work together. Yeah. You see, so so that's I I told you about the Western Jurisdiction Annual Conference and an annual conference in Africa. If you go on theology, they're probably different, but they have been engaged in mission. In they have been part, and they they have had covenant relationships. Yeah. yeah. And that is why uh, I want to go back to Bishop. Bickerton's Episcopal address last week, John and Matt, is we probably need to change the narratives. We need to change the narrative of emphasizing on unity, on mission, on transforming our communities. And mission and ministries are looking different because we live in different contexts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I become emotional when I speak about this because I, I, I see the harm that uh, this process has brought. And I, I think I love United Methodists, whether they are centrist, they are liberal, they are conservative, or they are compatibilist. I mean, you know, all those yes. <laughs> acronyms. But I think those who have helped me to go to school, they were United Methodists, and they are United Methodists. Those who have raised funds to save communities from flooding, from uh, volcanoes, from they are United Methodists from all over, and these yeah. are in the pews all over in all annual conferences. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And that's the place I want to be. Me too. Yeah. Me so too. Africa. That's why. The United Methodist Church in Africa is so. It, it's our it's our it's our it's our identity. I, 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 you know, it's it's our identity. It is difficult today. Somebody told me, "Are you really sure that you're gonna go up and change the sign? What are you going to explain <laughs> to people?" And I'm saying this. I have in my conference. There is a small global church Methodist church that started. Mm -hmm. But yet, we had a wonderful annual conference session. And people committed to continuing United Methodists. There should be a way that we can live together with our differences. Amen. Brother, I really appreciate you uh, taking time yeah. this morning to come and be with us. I, I have found this conversation with you very inspiring. Mm -hmm and humbling for me personally to just educational to learn and to hear and yes. i hope and pray um you know going to pray for your ministry and and all that your leadership over in the congo and and we'd love to i'd love to invite you sometime to come to houston texas uh maybe we get you over here and love that i'd love for you to meet our people too and i'd love to come sometime and and meet your people that just sounds like such a wonderful blessing i want to make a commitment to be in ministry with you and with the United Methodists in your conference and across the continent. And uh, you know that you have us here supporting you in the work that you're doing. Amen. Yeah. 
And I also want to thank you, John and Matt, and uh, I want to encourage you. Um, I know it is stressful, hmm. especially for clergy like you who have built, you've sacrificed yourself to build such a wonderful ministry and community. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of United Methodist clergy across the globe, especially in America, the kind of stress they're going through, the kind of uncertainty. But I want to encourage you, because as I said, Christ will not disaffiliate hmm. from us. Amen. Christ will continue to be with us and be encouraged. And I want to thank your families. I want to thank, and I want to thank United Methodists from all spectrum that you have done a wonderful job by supporting ministries in Africa. The growth we have is the labor of is your work, your prayers. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know you got a lot going on with your trip and getting ready to go back. And may God bless your family and bless your ministry and bless your work and bless your people. Please send them our greetings from Texas when you get back home. I will. All right, brother. We'll be in touch soon. I'd love to follow up. Talk. Bye-bye. God bless you. God, I'm emotional. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that I've ever been emotional on a podcast. When you hear... When you, when you, I don't know, man, it's just, I don't know. It just, it, it pulls the lens out. It's like, it zooms out. Yeah. And I guess I've been so consumed in kind of the disagreements that, that are going on in the United States and focusing on that and everything. And then the different perspective. Mm-hmm. I wish every United Methodist member, clergy person, can hear this, can hear his heart, can hear where he's coming from. And, you know, if they decide they can't remain in this denomination, I get it. But, man, if you make a decision based on some of just the fear and the limited inf- mm-hmm. stuff that's being spouted out there, it's just so petty. It's so small. It's so petty. I mean, it's like I'm starting to get more and more and more emails and messages from people that say, this is what my pastor said about some guy in Virginia. <laughs> yeah. You know? And first off, it's like mischaracterization. Yeah. But it's like, this is why we should leave, because of some one dude in Virginia or yeah. some one dude in Illinois. Yeah. yeah. We're, go, we're gonna walk away from this. Yeah. What I'm you, not walking away from this. No. I'm not. And, no. and, and, and you know what? There's a lot of things I disagree. There's a lot of things that need to happen in the United Methodist Church. And we're not perfect, and we haven't done things well. Yeah. You know, one of the things, another person reached out to me recently and said, you know, the church, the church is supposed to be connectional, and the church hasn't done a good job being connectional. And I said, you know what? Of all the things that you listed on this sheet that you're frustrated about, you're exactly right on that one. We have not done a good job. There's some things that we are about that we have not done a good job mm-hmm. about. If we need to do better. This is a time for us to go through a revival and a reformation and a restoration of what it means to be United Methodist. And people like Bishop Monday are going to yeah. be the ones to help lead us. Just that voice. I mean, I don't know. What did you, what did you see this morning? Uh, what came into clarity for you this morning that, um, that wasn't not there maybe yesterday, but you saw it clear today? 
we live in a bubble, you know, and we live in a bubble and the things that are like right in front of you, that's like the most important, mm -hmm. that's everything. And the irony, honestly, the irony is that the group that's leaving the United Methodist Church are calling themselves the Global Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I was like, Oh, dude, man, there, there's a global Methodist church. You just become a ghetto, not it's a global. It's the United Methodist it's the, church. It's the ghetto United Methodist church. It's playing into the ghetto. It is. It is. It's become a ghetto. And that's what we need to call it. If, if he's calling us to be prophetic, then the pro, the prophetic is, is those that are pulling away under the duress and under deception are not creating a global United Methodist church. It's become the ghetto United Methodist church. They won't show this video. No. They, they, no, they, a, no. If a pastor will who wants their church to leave he said it power money infiltrating to have an agenda yeah spread yeah. as yeah. causing harm in africa that i guess that you know a, a lot of those things i'm like that's what really gets me emotional it makes me angry but at the same time and the harm that 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 it's causing and you 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 saw this clearly today and it helped me see it is the harm that it's causing is directly connected to um, orphans um, and those that have been abandoned material trying to get food for folks trying to get shelter for folks trying to get clean water our division over ideas and the ripple effect is having material effect on people's lives we are doing harm our, our schism, whatever you want to call it, is doing harm. And people, what's interesting, and we say, yeah, it's harming me. The gospel's not about me first. Yeah. You know, sometimes I have to be willing to carry my cross and lay my desire down, lay my life down, in order that someone else yeah. may experience the gospel. Very interesting to me, John, that he um, suggests that we might need to rethink the way that um, our structure is. In that he talks about a dialogue rather than judicial. We name you can't it. legislate this. Right. That's what he was saying. Yeah. Is you can't legislate this. This whole position on our disagreement around contextual uh, issues and, and interpretation. You can't. It can't be legislated. And that's what happens when you move. You're going. You're, you're moving because you want to go into a place where you can legislate it, where you can control it, where you can say, "Here are the rules, and if you break the rules, we're going to kick you out." Right. Can't enforce the rules here. I I don't disagree with that. But you can't legislate morality. Yeah. You can't legislate yeah. obedience. Yeah. So, you, you have to be in relationship with one, one another. Yeah. And that issue of community yeah. um, is so important. So, but we, we got to go. We've had enough. <laughs> we, we get to talk about this more another time. But man, I'll tell you what, I'm really blessed uh, this morning. Yeah. Well, I'm John Stevens. I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Hello, neighbor. How are you? Really? Wanna shower you with love